0: Welcome to More Than Miles. Whether you're on a run, driving, doing laundry, or cleaning your house, thanks for taking us along. On this podcast, we believe that our athletes are so much more than their body and sport. So we dive deep with conversations and expert interviews to widen the lens on what it means to be a happy and healthy endurance athlete. I'm Dr. Kate Mahivik edwards physical therapist, author, educator, and former endurance athlete. Through 12 plus years of successfully treating thousands of frustrated athletes and navigating my
1: own health struggles, I've learned so much and I really can't wait to share it with you. And I'm Dr. Casey Sanders. I'm a physical therapist, runner, and advocate for mental health and endurance sports. As an athlete myself, I understand the endurance athlete lifestyle and the impact that injury can have on our daily rhythm. I'm also known for my T-Rex costume and Wiggle Wednesday series on Instagram. Our goal is to always keep our athletes healthy on and off the road. As a wise woman named Pinkwin said, let's get this party started. Hi, welcome
0: everybody to More Than Miles. We're so glad you're here. We have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jackie Merritt. She's a physical therapist, biomechanist, has a PhD in neuroscience, is a nationally competitive trail runner, author, and mom. I had the pleasure of meeting and working with her while she was doing her postdoc at Emory University. We're so excited to have her on today. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us, Jackie.
2: Yeah, I'm honored to be on your podcast.
0: I remember the first time we met. As soon as we met, we knew we wanted to work together and do things together because we were both physical therapists and runners. And yeah, I'm really sad you moved.
2: I'm sad too. I miss Atlanta. I was actually back last week running through the city like, oh, I really miss Atlanta. Kansas is not the same, guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> is it at least a little cooler there? It is. There are literally no hills. I cannot find a hill, not even on a bridge. There's no bridges. There's no water here either everything kind of looks the same. I mean, everyone's very nice here and like, it's kind of weird because it's a pandemic when we move, but uh, it's definitely not the same as Atlanta. I miss Atlanta.
0: Oh, I bet. And one thing about Atlanta I didn't know until I moved here was it is really hilly.
2: It is really hilly. <laughs> definitely a shock to my system last week when I was, I was running those hills and Wilker's. That road in Decatur, that's like insanely hilly. It's like a 14% grade. I was grinding up this thing like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this though. (laughs) Awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, we have a lot to talk about because you are this incredible person and you have so much knowledge and you've done really great things. But I really wanted to start talking about first kind of what you're doing right now. Um, You have this PhD in neuroscience, and what are you studying? What are you working on?
2: (laughs) Oh, good question. I am actually still in my postdoc at Emory. Um, I'm finishing it remotely. We had to shut down our experiments with COVID last year, um, and so that was actually why I was back last week to finish some of those experiments. But basically what I'm doing right now I am measuring brain activity in older adults and stroke survivors when we have them stand on this plate on the ground and then we pull the plate out from underneath of their feet and they have to recover their balance and we're measuring what their brain does. Uh (laughs) It's actually a really fun experiment. (laughs) Yeah, so we're basically measuring, we're trying to measure and characterize how the cortex is maybe contributing to balance control and how this might change with aging and then how that is affected after someone who's older has a stroke that affects, you know, that part of their brain. So.
0: That sounds like a really fun experiment, actually. A little scary if you ask
2: me, <laughs> but, but a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we've had people who are like really anxious that just couldn't do the experiment. It is a little unsettling when you're like standing there and someone's like pulling the thing out from you, but the brain activity looks really cool. There's all kinds of stuff that we see the brain doing like the the brain is just trying to basically do everything to protect the head at all costs. That's literally what the brain does in that scenario. And so depending on people's impairments with aging and then impairments after stroke, you see them do all kinds of stuff. Like if their lower legs don't react fast enough, of course they'll, you know, we've all seen older adults kind of like throw out their arms and like, just like anything, they're like, break my wrist, break my shoulder, anything, but just like protect my brain which is a really good strategy. We also have people attached to the ceiling and a harness for this. So we have never had anyone fall or anything like that. So it isn't actually like a very safe setup and in case anyone was wondering, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now.
1: <laughs> I wanted to ask the logistics of that. Like I needed to know what happened once this force plate moved. So thank you for clarifying. <laughs> we
2: have someone standing close by to like step in and then a last case scenario is like the harness engages and they're, we have them in one of those mountain climber harnesses and they're just sitting in the harness suspended to the ceiling. We actually have never, we've always stepped in before that happened. Like we've definitely had people unable to recover, but good about stepping in and, uh, and saving them before that even happens. So that's good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When did you start running?
2: So my background in high school, um, was basketball. I actually went to a really small Catholic high school. We didn't even have a cross country team or anything. So basketball was my sport. I played it all year round, pretty much um, off season, like training, conditioning, all that. I didn't start running until I joined triathlon club and undergrad. And so yeah. then I basically found that I was really of all three events. I was definitely excelling at running the most. From there, I found trail running. And then of course. Ultra running and then it's all over from there. So that's kind of the evolution of my
1: running career. In the beginning, of this conversation spoken like a true trail runner saying that you missed the hills of Atlanta and it was so boring and flat <laughs> in Kansas City, which I think is hilarious. But Jackie, we have a little bit of a less illustrious way of meeting in the community than. <laughs> than uh, you and Kate, because we just have some m- mutual friends. And I believe we met for the first time in person at a uh, Christmas cookie party where there was a very intense cookie baking competition. Yeah. Uh, there was intense. Ours it was really get a intense. little
2: intense. <laughs>
0: Wait, was this a competitive cookie competition too?
2: It wasn't supposed to be, but then we had like a tiara for the winner. You kind of wanted to get the tiara. And um, my husband and I, like, we we're each making our own batches of cookies and so we were like trying like competing for kitchen time and like hiding like our secret like cookies from each other and trying to bake off in the same house it was pretty it was pretty funny there's nothing
0: (laughs) like a bunch of endurance athletes trying to not be competitive
1: (laughs) yeah for real though so Jackie when did you get into ultra marathons like tell me a little bit about your first ultra marathon experience
2: I ran this 50 miler. It's in my hometown where I grew up in Maryland. It's called the JFK 50 miler. It's actually one of the largest ultra marathons in the U S if not the largest in terms of number of participants. I think there's like 1500 people in like a normal year that will run it, which is a lot for an ultra, especially one that runs on the single track. It's I think the only race like sanctioned race that still is allowed to use the Appalachian trail because it's been going on for over 50 years now and it's like a historic race that was my first ultra I did that when I was in I think I might have been like a junior or senior in college and undergrad I kind of did that just as like a bucket list item like I'd run a marathon or two and I was kind of like I have to do like this hometown race that I always thought everyone was so crazy when you read (laughs) about the lead up and build up to this in the paper because it's like a pretty small town For the whole week leading up to the event, this is like the thing happening, pretty much nothing else. So I was like, I want to, I want to check the box and like do this thing. And then I was training with my friend who was doing it every year. And he would always talk about how life-changing it was. And, and I was kind of like, I want to have that experience. Like I want to, I kind of want to test and like see what that's like. When someone says something changed their life, it definitely provoked curiosity in me. And so that was kind of what triggered me to do the first, my first ultra, I would say it did not go very well. Like I had stomach issues. I don't know, like typical stuff. I think I finished in like a little over nine hours or something within the week later. I was like, I think I could run that faster if I didn't have stomach issues. And like, I just did the same training. And so, you know, there I was towing the line next year. And I think I cut almost two hours off my time or something. (laughs) So it was that time in your running career where you're like, times are just exponentially like declining and you're like, oh yes, this is amazing oh, yeah. um, in those days. So uh, you have to, you have to work a lot harder to get like to shave the minutes off once you get some more experience and running under your belt. But it was 2009.
0: That's when I graduated. Yes. I think that's when I graduated PT school. <laughs> <laughs> So you've done so many ultramarathons since then. You've done fifty milers. You've done hundred milers. What is it about trail running and ultramarathons that you like?
2: Oh gosh, the longer the race is, the uh, I've never been like the fastest runner in terms of pure talent and you know genetic gift and whatever. I've always like worked really hard. I think to. I mean, I think everyone does, but I don't think I'm naturally speedy. And I really liked that as the distances got longer, I found that your performance was dependent on more elements, you know, like your ability to grit it out, you know, and like things got really crappy and like, you know, it was kind of about like, who could just like puke on the trail at mile like 65 and then just like run another 35 miles in like, just like that type of stuff. Like there was like this more cognitive element to it I don't know it required more troubleshooting in the race and then also if you had to go to the bathroom it didn't like totally crush your time like if if you're going for a marathon PR and you have to like go to the bathroom or like pee or something it's like oh well there goes the PR I just worked like my butt off for six months to get like you know 45 seconds off that's right so I think I liked all of those things about about long distance ultra running. I just really liked being out there all day marathon running a your fastest marathon is like a different kind of dig deep. I think running a hundred miler is more it's a different type of challenge. They're both really, really hard. And I don't think one is harder than the other. I like the type of challenge that the hundred miler brings, but I also really enjoy running like well, I wouldn't say I really enjoy, but I do still get out there and run the faster races because they're really freaking hard to do, too. So yeah, but I've actually only run four 100 milers because 100 milers will kick you in the butt. (laughs) Really? That seems so
0: strange that 100 miles would do that to somebody and only four. I know, right?
2: (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) I'm also a person that really likes my sleep. So I just love and thrive in like the 50 mile distance because you can like start after breakfast and you're kind of like done by dinner time and like you can get to bed at night. 100 miler you're going to be out there all night and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then your whole week is like thrown off but they're nice to do every once in a while so what
0: what yeah. do you think about out there for 50 miles or 100 miles
2: oh man well usually before especially before like a 100 mile race I'll spend like the week before thinking about what I'm going to think about <laughs> I love it and, you're uh, such a
0: scientist <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know. I, I don't listen to music really when I run, but I do reserve, if the race allows it, I do reserve music for like the later part of a hundred miler, like after mile 60 to 70. It gives you kind of like a fresh sensory perception when like you've been going for, you know, that many dozen hours or however long you've been out there at that point. And so music is something I tap into when I'm kind of in a a little bit of a rough spot or like my brain is just going in these like pathological loops about like something negative. Usually what I try to do is, especially later in the race, I mean, the first 50 miles, I don't know, I could be thinking about anything, probably not even related to the race. But then later in the race, everyone will probably catch themselves thinking about something negative and then that can go into like a feedback loop of like, more negativity and like, you know, cascading into this like downward spell. And then before you know it, your life's going to be over. If you like drop out of this race, I try to like just catch myself or like observe what's happening in my brain. It's kind of like what you're, what you do in meditation where you're kind of like just this observer of your thoughts. And you're just like, whoa, you are like, you know, these thought patterns are just like going that shit crazy you are clearly not thinking straight right now um it's almost kind of like funny where your thought patterns will go sometimes if you can be aware of it so sometimes i do that but then when every everything else fails i usually get music pacers can help too if the race allows pacers later in the race i usually save my pacers in a 100 mile or till after mile like 65 or something too so that they can bring a fresh perspective as well
1: I have to say, every time I talk to ultra runners, which is actually a lot of my friend group right now, I feel like a delicate little flower who runs marathons. It just <laughs> marathons I feel like I do, hard. I feel like I do nothing. <laughs> marathons
0: are hard.
2: No, marathons are crazy hard. You're like redlining the entire race of a marathon. At least that's what I feel like when I run a road marathon. It's
1: yeah, like... this is this is very true. They're just different. They're different beasts for sure. Um, but something I, I love that you talked about with your first fifty miler is this like curiosity of what you can do, seeking out these experiences that are going to change your life. And I'm just wondering, like, has that evolved over time, or would you find that that's still like one of your main motives for for racing and pushing yourself?
2: I think it's probably so I am it's definitely still curiosity driven in the sense like i um, I do like getting out there and like pushing myself and seeing how much I can improve. But then also it's just, I don't know. I just like doing it for, for its own sake. Like it's just part of my life. It's part of my routine. Like all my friends run, like I run with people. It's part of like my whole social network. I just really enjoy it. Like, even if I couldn't ever race again and like improve my time or like, I'd never get faster. And like, that were just like a fact. And I just, we just knew that as a fact, I would still be out there as many days as I could. Doing my routine that involves running and and being with my crazy friends who do the same thing, and I think my relationship with running has definitely evolved over the last dozen years. Um, from being like really curiosity driven and kind of like I'm definitely still competitive, but I definitely have grown to love running for the the sake of being outside and moving my body and being with people who. You know, I really enjoy the company of.
0: I also like how you mentioned it's meditative. And I always thought that every time I went out for a run, especially if I was in the woods or, you know, in a quiet space, I really loved that meditative aspect of it. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, that the longer you go, I mean, I only did, you know, up to about 30 miles before I had to stop, but the longer you go, the more that happens. And I've always noticed my trail runners are so much more relaxed than my marathon runners. (laughs) And I wonder if that's a part of it. Really?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It could go either way. I definitely know trail runners that are more laid back. I definitely have friends that are trail runners that are also a bit more type A, Mm. so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably across the board. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's just my experience. The other thing I liked uh, that you said, and I think a lot of our listeners can relate to is how hard you work. And I know a lot of people work very hard, but not being naturally fast, but then being able to achieve all of these goals, putting in the work. And one of the things about you that I always loved was every time I came into the lab, you were sitting on an exercise ball. Whenever I saw you, you were riding your bike to work or finding a way to ride your bike To work or wherever you were going. So every time I saw you, you were moving and using your body and conditioning it.
2: Yeah. So the exercise ball, I really do not like sitting in chairs for a long period of time. So that, that also helps me stay on the exercise ball, but uh, yeah, I mean, hip flexors, right? Yeah. At least in the exercise ball, if you like sit the right way, you can kind of like reduce your hip flexors, just being on like firing all day long for you know, eight hours. I thought that helped a lot with that. The hip flexor tightness, but I, I certainly have, I love commuting. I just love starting my day riding my bike into work. And I do not like sitting in traffic and obviously Atlanta is Atlanta. So (laughs) I definitely (laughs) really enjoyed bike commuting during my time in Atlanta. That was, that was definitely something I liked. And you you can't avoid the pedals, so you got to train on them. That's true. Can
0: you do it now or are you just doing everything remote?
2: I'm working remotely mostly. Um, When I was in Atlanta, I rode it in every day. I'm currently working a little bit at uh, Kansas University Medical Center, and it's not in a location that I can really bike there Mm -hmm. safely right now. So unfortunately, I have had to give up my bike commute on the days I go in there. But yeah, I'm hoping to get back to it in our next location wherever that is
0: speaking of right
2: now <laughs> you are pregnant yes i am yay i'm going into gorgeous. my third trimester like next week i think so <laughs>
0: wow <laughs> yeah. that happened fast for me but probably not you
2: <laughs> <laughs> actually i felt really good this one this time around too i think i've been pretty fortunate with my my pregnancy running experience
0: you have Jordan,
2: is she one
0: and a half or two? How old is she now?
2: She is um, almost two and a half now. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, so story with Jordan, I was training for Western States <laughs> in <laughs> 20, what was it, 28? Yeah, it was 2018 because I ran Western States in 2017, came in top 10, got my ticket to go back. And anyone who knows Western States knows it's like pretty hard to get into with an entry. And I was training for that. I was running over hundred miles a week. I think at that point it was like March or something. And yeah, stuff started feeling a little off and training. <laughs> I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. It was unplanned and very surprising and kind of like, oh my gosh, I haven't done my research on this. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I, I remember did, you coming researched to me. This type of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I research this type of stuff pretty thoroughly before I get into it. Typically. Yeah. So it was a fun surprise. Our daughter Jordan's great. She was uh so I did not run Western states at like six months or five and a half months pregnant or whatever I would have been. I felt pretty great the whole pregnancy with her. I mean, I was able to run the entire time. I think I ran, quote, ran six um like six miles the day I finally went into labor. She was super late. So, yeah, it was really good. Actually, the first trimester with Jordan was like the worst one for me. I just felt sick and tired and like all the time. And I think the first trimester is really hard because you don't look like you're pregnant and like people don't know you're pregnant yet. You feel like you shouldn't be changing anything because like nothing looks different outwardly, but like you have like these hormones just surging through your body and everything is just Totally out of whack. And like, you know, at work, I was so tired and I felt like I had to like maintain the same productivity because like no one knew what was going on. And like, I don't know, the first trimester was really hard. I think it, it I, I think the first trimester is, it has definitely in my experience so far um, in both my pregnancies has been the hardest. But yeah, and then I mean, the third trimester, you just, you're just like big. I don't know. I wasn't having any pain or anything though. So I was able to run through the whole thing i actually before this call i was just looking back at like my training log through my whole first pregnancy
0: that's incredible that you kept that and i I think that that's such a good learning tool and you don't really remember unless you write it down
2: with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere
0: dearly beloved we are gathered here today to
1: has anyone seen the bride and groom
0: sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time
2: I like dropped my mileage by like uh, my, so this was also really hard because like my doctor didn't really like know anything about, yes. they didn't like really understand like what, like, oh, I run. It was like, oh yeah, you can keep running like the same that you were. I was like, I was running like a hundred miles a week. I'm like, wow, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so because I was like, is. oh my God. I know. So like me and my brain, I was like, there's no reason that I shouldn't be running a hundred miles a week still. And, um, so I was like still getting for that. And then I think I actually reduced my mileage by like 50% in the first trimester puking in the bushes on my morning runs like that. Like it was just all of that, but running didn't make me feel worse. So I was just like, well, I'm either going to feel sick and not run, or I'm going to feel sick and run. So I might as well just keep running. So I did really dramatically cut my mileage though, because I was also training for Western States. So I was like coming from that, that level of training down. And then the other crazy thing that happens in the first trimester before you gain any weight or you show anything at all is that the progesterone sucks all the, um, the stiffness out of your tendons. So like your Achilles tendons are like totally compliant. And it feels like you're running on sand because you have no like recoil and spring system or your spring system is way dampened mechanically. So just mechanically, you're just like at this total. It, it, yeah. You're just running in, in quicksand essentially.
0: It That's feels what it so feels heavy. Like in- Even if you haven't mm-hmm. gained a lot of weight because of that and the inability to restore or to store energy everything feels like you're pounding and you're heavy and you feel so much bigger than you are. At least that was my experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You feel really heavy. Your legs are just like lead. I would like to say it gets better. Maybe you just get more used to it. It's just like such a quick thing because it's like, you're all springy one day and fit and like, you feel, well, you feel fit. You still are fit, but it's just like that progesterone kicks up a notch and you're just like
1: like if someone just like
2: let the air out of you, that's fun in the first trimester. But again, like it's hard because if you're running with like your normal friends, like no one knows you're pregnant. You haven't told them. So it's a hard place to be, I think, mentally.
0: I think you're right. You said it was a surprise with Jordan and it was a surprise with Andy, you know, my son as well. And so I was training for half Iron Man and I was like totally getting ready for it. And then one day I just, I kept crying all the time. And I was like, why am I crying all the time? Like I, I had to change my, the tube on my tire. So I was crying about it. I felt like I was slow and I didn't understand why. And then I found out I was pregnant and I was like, oh, right, hormones. Um, <laughs> and my training partner at the time, I hadn't told her, she just looked at me one day and she's like, dude, I know you're pregnant. I can totally tell I've been there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It was really funny. And
0: then, yeah, so it was the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you for many reasons, but one is just to like, let women know, Hey, we can continue to run while we're pregnant if it feels good. And these are some of the things that we've experienced during our journey. So do you have any advice for women that want to continue to be active and exercise during pregnancy?
2: Yeah. The thing that has been really important to me, both in my pregnancy with Jordan and, and my current pregnancy has really just been sticking with my routine. Like right now. And when I was living in Atlanta and pregnant with Jordan, I always run in the morning or I always exercise in the morning. And so I just kept that routine. It looked different. It looked very different, especially, you know, when you're really big in the third trimester. Later in my third trimester, I was doing like, you know, run, walk type things, but I was still getting out there at the same time every morning before work. Some mornings I would run an hour and a half. I wasn't going that long, you know, at the end of my third trimester. So, but I'd still be out there for 45 minutes and I'd still get in my run. And then I also started doing we're cross training, you know, maybe that run is getting on the elliptical or maybe it's getting on the Stairmaster. I really liked the Stairmaster because I found that I could actually still achieve like a pretty high intensity on the Stairmaster, but without the impact of running. Actually, I found like later in my pregnancy, especially with Jordan and actually kind of where I'm at right now, it's actually hard for me to get that like stimulus of like a higher intensity workout just because of the mechanical loading and like impact. And it's just like, it gets way too awkward mechanically to go that fast or that hard before it gets like hard effort wise. Mm -hmm. I I just uh, shifted to cross training a little bit more, but I kept my same routine and that when like everything's changing and everything's crazy during this time in your life, I just found that that keeping my time in the morning to exercise or run, whatever that started looking like definitely kept me grounded. So I definitely recommend that people do that if they can. Awesome.
0: And then what about, have you used any support? Like, you know, there's a lot of belts out there. There's different, there's different things that you can use to help. Some people put orthotics in their shoes, some don't, some change, you know, have you used anything to help support you during this time?
2: I played around with some belts. I never really had too many feet issues other than my feet got a little swollen, but I never had to like up my shoe size or anything. I just wore compression socks. That seemed to help me a lot. The belts I found made it harder. It felt like more that it just made it harder for me to breathe rather than like give me any mechanical support. Mm -hmm. Kind of like once you start running. I mean, that's a lot of load. There's not a lot a piece of elastic can do, even if it's like super tight. It's just like it felt too constrictive for me and like still not providing me like more support per se. I will say that I invested in a good sports bra mm. and that was the piece of gear that there was no way I was running without when I was pregnant or breastfeeding. There's one sports bra that I, that worked for me. Apparently they stopped making it since then. And I have a bunch of them, but.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're lucky. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I agree with that. I think that's a piece of equipment, if you will, that a lot of us don't even think about until we become pregnant or postpartum and our breasts get huge. (laughs) they're not something we're used to
2: yeah for sure I think during my first pregnancy my breast increased like over three cup sizes I mean that's like a lot because I think I was a C at baseline or something so it was like I needed something for my boobs yeah (laughs) so that has been like the most valuable piece of equipment I think this is going to be a learning experience for me because last time I was pregnant in the winter in Atlanta, like my daughter was born in December. So Mm -hmm. now I'm going to be pregnant, like in my third trimester in the middle of like the heat of the summer. And that's going to be interesting, (laughs) but I'll let you know how it goes.
0: Yeah, please. (laughs) I also wanted to know the differences because I've only had one child. So I only have one experience, but I've heard that there's a lot of differences between pregnancies um, and how things feel and how you can move and what you can do. Have you found that or not really?
2: Yeah. Especially during like the later part of my first trimester and earlier in the second trimester with uh, my second pregnancy. Now I started showing a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I was the same weight as I was at that time when I was pregnant with Jordan, even like a little bit lighter. but I was like my bump just like popped out like much sooner it was definitely harder to if you wanted to conceal that I had to be very strategic with wardrobe stuff and when you're going running that's just a lot harder to do than even when you're going to work or something Uh, you can't hide it under like drapey sweaters or something but um that's something I noticed a lot I started feeling like I probably just because you like and, and this is pretty common. I've heard um, with women in their, their second and subsequent pregnancies, you know, you just show sooner and that's just because your uterus has been stretched out before. And then for me, I did have diastasis recti. So my core never, like it's always been a little, my um, rectus abdominis has always remained a bit more separated than it ever was at baseline before I was pregnant with my first and so that I'm sure contributes to it but I definitely noticed like I felt more instability sooner with this one it's natural to kind of like increase the lordosis of your spine so like kind of like arch your lower back back because like you have this big bump in front of you and I felt myself doing that earlier and so I just had to be really aware of that and I probably cut Out like my speed work with running a little bit sooner, I I transitioned that stuff to the elliptical a little bit earlier this time around because of that mechanical instability that I felt sooner.
0: That makes sense. And so other than the elliptical and the stair climber, are you doing any certain exercises, any breath work, anything for your pelvic floor, any of that kind of stuff right
2: now? I actually, yeah, I would actually be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Kate, because I know you and I have talked about this before and I've talked about mm-hmm. it with Blair, you know, pelvic floor physical therapist who, uh, you know, co-authored your book. <laughs> and it's just so interesting because the blanket recommendation for women is to start doing sets of Kegels. So like the mm-hmm. pelvic floor contractions when you're pregnant. And I read all this in all the pregnancy books. And so I started doing them in my first uh, pregnancy. And then I talked to you and, um, and Blair and you guys were like, your pelvic floor is like way overactive already like you really should like you are not a good candidate to be doing these <laughs> Kegels right. to like increase the activity of your pelvic floor because guess what during labor to like make the baby come out you actually have to relax those muscles at certain times and that's right that's <laughs> for exactly everything right. to come i was like oh wow like yeah i mean it's good to have a strong pelvic floor that's engaged when you're doing stuff but then during labor and birth, you actually have to relax those at the same time as your uterus is contracting It's crazy. Like all of that muscle coordination that has to happen, but like you have to relax at the same time as you're contracting and you're pushing. And I actually stopped doing Kegels and I haven't done any exercise like that in this, um, in my second pregnancy yet. Yeah. So I don't, I don't plan to, unless someone, um, you know, gives me an eval and says, Hey, your pelvic floor is super weak. You need to start doing these or something.
0: I'm not surprised they had a really strong pelvic floor because I know that you probably <laughs> just worked so hard. I mean, I know we talked about it afterwards, but I could envision you working so hard to make sure that that was true, <laughs> so that you didn't. Oh yeah. Have issues. yeah,
2: I would be like waiting in line for something, and I'd be doing my Kegels, and like no one would know. It's they're so easy to do wherever, and no one knows what you're doing unless you're. I don't know, making some super strange face, but (laughs) yeah, I would
0: say definitely do your breathing though, Jackie. I mean, like that's the one thing, especially if you have a history of that, but anybody, whether they need Kegels or not definitely needs to do the diaphragmatic breathing and really working into that system because that can help relax, but it also can help improve core stability. So if there's anything at all, that's the number one, most important thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree about the breathing. I do have a meditation practice and I think that I got more regular about that actually when I was pregnant with Jordan. And I think that really helped. Um, and I do some breathing associated with that. I also am more cognizant than I probably was before with breathing while I run and like, uh, not doing that, you know, that apical breathing at like the top of your lung space that runners often do. Yeah, that's about the extent of it. Although I, I have a lifting routine too. So I, I do okay. recommend keeping up your strength routine. Um, when you're, you're pregnant, I mean, I didn't increase weight when I was pregnant and I did eventually have to drop weight and modify some exercises. And what I also did was I transitioned a lot of my, you know, like double leg deadlifts and squats to single leg to kind of take some pressure off the pelvic floor. that gets really, a lot greater during the later part of your pregnancy. But yeah, I, I kept up my my strength routine. And I mean, that is just so useful in labor. I mean, you're, I spent most of my labor in a, a, like a squatting position. It was mm-hmm. like the most comfortable, like the best place that I felt when I was laboring. And that takes a lot of strength to hold that for so many hours. I mean, you're like, you get some breaks between contractions, but like, Yeah. You don't want to go into that with weak quads and hamstrings. So (laughs) yeah, definitely. And then also maintaining like your mobility too. If you don't have the ability to go into like a deep squat and that's going to be the most advantageous position for you in labor. Um, everyone's a little different, but yeah, I mean, if I lost that hip flexibility, there goes that opportunity for me to, to kind of help myself out.
0: I agree. And I'm really glad you brought up strength training because that's something that Casey and I talk about all the time and how important it is, whether you're pregnant, postpartum or, or neither of them, <laughs> the strength training is so important for any athlete. And I love that you actually brought it up as part of what you're continuing to do, because I do think that's, again, something that women are afraid to do during their pregnancy. And you can actually start strength training when you become pregnant, if you've never done it before as long as you start pretty easily.
2: Yeah. The other thing I will say, if you're, especially if you are a runner or a triathlete and you're used to doing like structured workouts and interval training and that type of stuff, you don't have to hang out in zone two for like over nine months. Like you can keep doing that stuff. Like you, you like, you'll have to adapt. Like I talked about, like I, I wasn't doing like any type of interval training with like on the track anymore. Cause it was just too much mechanical, you know, impact, but I, um, transitioned that to the elliptical and it looked a lot different. Like I wasn't doing nearly as long or like as many, but like, it still felt really good. I thought to like, you know, introduce some intensity in there too, into my week. And I was used to that. Like my body was really used to that. And also I'd say like, even if you have a more conservative doctor, follow whatever your doctor says. If you have anything that like any reason that you don't want to get above a certain heart rate, like I know some of my friends who are pregnant said, my doctor doesn't want me to get above 150 heart rate. I mean, you can do like 30 second intervals. Your heart rate won't increase that much. Like it takes a, a while for your heart rate to get up. Like it usually takes like a minute plus at like a higher intensity for your heart rate to get up. So it's going to get really up there in like, you know, a 5k plus, but if you keep your intervals, like short, you can still get that like intensity and your heart rate doesn't spike up too much. So I'd say you could play around with that type of stuff. If you're comfortable and your doctor's comfortable with it. And also like, I mean, that's literally what labor is, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like hours of intervals that are like 30 seconds to a minute long and your rest breaks get a lot shorter (laughs) over time (laughs) and it gets really intense so I honestly think that like keeping some type of like shorter intense thing I thought that was really helpful for me personally also you can kind of play with like like you said Kate like your breathing and like even like your mindset like Like what I think about now, and I'm like in doing my like shorter intervals that are higher intensity. Is like, all right, like, is my brain really going to like just thinking about the end, like getting to the end of this interval? Like, can I like just be in this uh, in this space right now and be uncomfortable and and just like be okay with that? Because, like I said, it's it's hard to describe, but like in labor, you have to like like part of you has to relax. And if you're just like everything in you, including your pelvic floor is just tensing up, then it doesn't help you with like your cervix dilation and it doesn't help you progress in your labor. I think that there's some usefulness to, to doing incorporating that type of thing um, as you're kind of like preparing for labor.
0: I think so. 100%, you're absolutely right. I think that most, and that's why athletes tend to have um, easier labors, not always, but tend to, and they're shorter most of the time. And again, I'm generalizing, of course, that's not everything, but is because we're used to that type of work. And um, the only comment I wanted to make about this heart rate, I just have to, because this is, you know, this is what I do the research actually says that there's no specific heart rate. It's about the talk test. And if you can talk and your body is used to it, then you can, you know, you can run at whatever pace you want to run at, unless you have some underlying issue that your doctor is flagging. So of course we always, we always say, make sure you've been checked out by your physician, but a lot of physicians don't know about running, like you mentioned before and don't understand what it's like to be an endurance athlete because they one have never used their body that way, or they just haven't read the new research or it just hasn't come up in their career. So know that the talk test is actually much better indicator than heart rate itself. But you should ask your physician. I do have to say that if you have some underlying condition,
2: (laughs) obligatory disclaimer. You have to. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to get in trouble. (laughs) No, yeah, and I mean, like, there are like legitimate reasons why you would stop running if you're pregnant. Like, I know my one friend I run with. You know, she had this what did she have? She had like some type of like hematoma or something. And it's just like, all right, you don't want to do anything with impact there. So yeah, your, your doctor is going to know all of that nuanced stuff for your specific situation. So you definitely need a a doctor and, you know, find it. The other thing I'll say about finding a doctor is like, find a doctor that you like, like you are a, you know, consumer of a service. Most people are going to have insurance, limitations to like you know staying with their network but like if you don't like it your doctor like go get another one you know I literally just did that like a few weeks ago like I really I probably put up with it for too long I was at 20 weeks here in Kansas and that I just really was not getting good vibes from this place I was at and I was just like you know I'm leaving and I'm so much happier already and it's just just like find someone you like and that your philosophy is and yeah, it's hard. It really is hard to get a sense from like a website and it is kind of a pain to change doctors, but like, I'm telling you, it's, it's worth it if you can do it. So I
0: completely agree. I actually changed my doctor pretty, it was pretty early on. I think it was right at the beginning of my second trimester, but it was the same thing. I wasn't getting a good vibe. They didn't understand why I wanted to run, thought it was bad for me. And I just said, you know what? I think, I think this isn't going to work. Well, Jackie, I'm so glad you talked to us tonight. I think this is really great information and I I really appreciate it. And I also miss you. So this is nice for me to be able to talk. I'm sorry, Casey. I did most of the talking, but we said this might happen because we were talking about pregnancy.
1: (laughs) Yes, I appreciate you guys sharing your experiences because my uterus is empty and hopefully will remain that way. So I'm glad that you guys can spread some knowledge for those who are interested in that sort of thing.
0: Thank you very much. This has been amazing. And Jackie, if somebody wants to follow you or reach out to you, is there some way they can do that?
2: Yeah, probably the best way to reach me is Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'm a J underscore palm underscore.
0: Okay, great. We'll put that in the show notes so people can see that. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Jackie. Thank you guys. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad you're here. If you love this podcast, please show us some love and write us a review. We're totally serious.
0: Write us a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps
1: us to increase the visibility of our show and reach more endurance athletes everywhere. And remember, the training is so much more than miles. See you later. See you later. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about
2: anywhere.